Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Hamflet from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite Homecoming. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Hamlet, Michael Sidgwick, enjoying a well-earned week off. He's still going to feature on this podcast, and I apologise if I sound a bit off today. I cried myself to sleep last night after seeing a Sidgwick mega fan sign, which was <laughs> lovely to see. Thank you to... I mean, get this, remember this whilst I'm, I'm there. Um, Silenas, S-I-E-L-A-N-A-S on Twitter, if you want to go and give them thanks uh, for that sign. It says, Sidgwick mega fan, Plus the rest, I guess, uh, <laughs> which was just spectacular. There was uh, Miller signs. I think there was actually a Dadley Boy sign. If anyone's, I saw tweets about this, but I haven't seen the actual photo. Ooh, if anyone send me that, I'd very much appreciate it. I'm at Adam Wilborn. He's at Michael Ampler. We're all at What Culture WWE for that. No, just not feeling great today. Thankfully, not the Rona. So we will plow on through and talk about Homecoming. What a show, Hamlet. Yeah, I am. Um, I sense that this one might go fly under the radar a little bit as uh, uh, an episode of Dynamite as a whole, considering that several episodes lately I've had these epic moments or have had stuff that will be remembered, not just for AEW's return to crowds, but for them being pivotal moments in the stories, for being the moments that drew these um, seven-finger viewership numbers Mm -hmm. and these awesome demos and like really, really great flashpoints in cool angles. I've been a little bit more critical of the episodes as a whole. I've found these dynamites, Sidgwick likes, likes to call them uneven, and I think that's fair. Mm. But I've found these dynamites to be quite lopsided. The good is unbelievable, but then like they get really sludgy or they get really kind of lethargic, and you can tell when the crowd just pull out of certain stories that they're not into. Mm. I thought this was a way more consistent episode, way more consistent. Other than the main event, I'm just not sure it had many peaks. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, it never really felt like it was like soaring with the Eagles other than in the awesome main event. And like, I cannot wait to get on to talking about that. So yeah, where it lacks in peaks, I just found this to be a really pleasing episode of wrestling television. Way more solid 
as a two hour experience than some of the wild undulating highs and lows of the past sort of month or so. Mm, yeah, I mean, there was still stuff to write home about. Obviously, yeah, like you said, it was the labors of Jericho, which we'll get into in a second. There was uh, matches announced for Rampage next week. Uh, Christian Cage appears to be the new number one contender, possibly for all out, although that wasn't really clarified. And yeah, Cody's retired. We'll get to it. We'll get to it in due course. Let's start at the beginning because it started with the third labor of Jericho. He's gone through Sean Spears in his chair. He's gone through Nick Gage and his light tubes. Now he's taking on Juventud Guerrera and uh, he has to win by doing a move off the top, the top rope. We guessed what the move off the top rope was going to be. Didn't guess this one, but let's talk about the match <laughs> itself. Uh, these two, I don't think have wrestled each other since the late 90s. It was referenced on commentary. Uh, to be honest, it did show early on that they hadn't tangled with each other in a while. Uh, quite sloppy, but also lots of high-flying bollocks. Um, lots of dives early on from Hoovy, who takes control. Um, but eventually Jericho fights back uh, after getting kicked all over the place, uh, fighting back at ringside. He eventually hits a diving crossbody for a two count. That's, of course, coming off the top rope, so that's allowed. Again, a bit of miscommunication, but then Jericho hits him with a diving axe handle, backbreaker uh, off the back of that. But, of course, he's not come off the top rope to hit that backbreaker, so the official can't count it. Jericho, reflecting his family values, tries to rip off someone's mask, and uh, they go back and forth <laughs> as they're at the top rope. Um, basically, Uvi's going for a top rope hurricane runner, but Jericho catches it and turns it into whatever you want to call it, the walls of Jericho, the, the lion tamer. It's off the top rope. MJF is furious. Before I forget, because I will, because my brain's just mush at the moment, Hamlet. shout out to MJF for calling, <laughs> calling the referee Aubrey a floozy and calling Tony Schiavone an old fart. I don't know why that popped me this morning, but it certainly did. Uh, thankfully, though, Uvi makes it to the ropes, breaks the count. Uh, he fights back, hits a spinning neck breaker, hits a thrust kick for a two count. Uh, Jericho's going for, a, I think, a power bomb. He turns it into a DDT. He hits the Hoovy driver, gets a near fall off it, but Jericho fights back and nails him with the Judas effect. But that wasn't off the top rope, so he realises he can't cover him. So instead, he goes up top, and we're thinking, what's he going to do here? Is he going to do a frog splash? Is he going to do a 450, like Michael Hamlet suggested on the preview yesterday? No, he hit a diving top rope Judas effect to get the pinfall victory. Bonkers spot that. Uh, Post-match, how did we not see this coming, Michael Hamflirt? The brilliant Wardlow comes down, F10's Hoovy, uh, and then hits the casualty of war on Jericho. MJF grabs a mic. You're going to have to clarify this for me because, as I said, I'm not great today, and I was a bit all over the place this morning. And obviously it's Wardlow versus Jericho for Labour number four. But I couldn't work out because they seem to suggest on commentary here that MJF would be the special guest referee. And then later on, there was a graphic that seemed to suggest MJF will be just joining Wardlow at ringside. Uh, regardless, let's talk about the match, first of all, Hamlet. Right. I just want to compliment you, by the way. Even when he's under the weather, Adam Wilborn still brings the thunder. That mask thing just popped the shit out of me. <laughs> um, and always stick a dig in on Chris Jericho. He can take it. Uh, so this match, right? Sloppy, it was. Mm. I think it is time, and I said this in the Sean Spears match as well, I think it is time to stop with the patronising praise of average to poor Chris Jericho matches when the man still thinks he can do everything. Mm. It is, it's okay for him to not be able to do everything. He's 50. I'm 50. Did you say I'm nearly 50, Lynn? Um, <laughs> yeah. Right, and, and cool. 
like you don't have to be able to do everything. And I guess there's something admirable in a man trying to do everything through this labours of Jericho. Buy the book, guys. Um, run that he's on. <laughs> I don't really need to see that. And the sloppiness really undermines what is otherwise a really, really fun time. There would have been a point where uh, two guys with a combined age of Chris Jericho and Juventud Guerrera would have had to have had a headlock match. Mm. And everybody would have still politely applauded that because, like, there will be matches. I haven't fact-checked this. Somebody please do this and correct me if I'm wrong. I bet there is at least one match on Heroes of Wrestling, generally considered the worst pay-per-view of all time, from 1999, where the combined age of the wrestlers in that is less than the combined age of the wrestler in this. <laughs> to get the stuff we got in a dynamite opener in 2021, like, legitimately impressive. That's what I will give a pass to the sloppiness for. Mm. Not for Chris Jericho. He needs to stop flexing his vanity. I really hope it is loser leaves because I'm kind of sick to the back arse of him. But I got a great deal of admiration for what they accomplished here because the finish was hot. The Super Judas effect was a good laugh, a good time. Um, and Wardlow, he, I don't know where I am on the Wardlow thing because it makes all the sense in the world. Hmm. Plays in quite nicely to MJF using Wardlow when it was Cody's deal. Mm -hmm. You're going to fight the war dog and you're going to do it in a cage. So that's quite good. I thought he was the referee too. And I was kind of bang into the hijinks because AEW can't play with stuff like special guest referees very often because it's a bit too WWE, but petrally. But you can do it with MJF. Yeah. Like he's the exact character you can do this sort of stuff with. Um, and I hope they go with that because I heard that too. I'm the same as you. I thought that was special guest referee and they seem to walk back from that a little bit later on in the show. Um, but yeah. I have to be honest, I think I was a little bit underwhelmed by Wardlow. They have allowed us to believe that there's going to be some sort of like bizarre cross the industry surprises in these labours and it's come to the end and it's like, oh, you're back to fighting the pinnacle guys. But um, it's a good spot for Wardlow. It's going to be a fun presentation. And I think the heat for Jericho losing is going to be more evident in this than it has in any of the other labours. And that's what's going to make it. I think like just because Wardlow's a regular it doesn't mean that the possibility of Jericho losing isn't going to be more believable than it was against any of the other guys. And I include Nick Gage in that. Mm. Um, so in that sense, I think it'll be a great success on the night. Yeah, it'll be very intriguing to see what numbers they do next week, for example, because on the one hand, you've got all the build to the first rampage, et cetera, and you've still got, you know, matches. What have we got? Title matches? Have we got a title match next week? Uh, let me double check what we've got. Oh, we've got, yes, we have got a title match. I thought we did. Good Brothers versus Dark Order. Fourth Labour and uh, Nina Rose, Chris Statlander, which came out of bloody nowhere in that <laughs> number one contenders match. But still, like you say, it's not necessarily right now appointment viewing next week, although the main event may counter that because you want to know what happens next for uh, who Malachi Black is going to pick a fight with Network Pro Cody again. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about it later. Anyway, um, yeah, it was... It wasn't, wasn't disappointing, wasn't it? Because I love Wardlow and I do feel like, okay, I've tried all these, you know, quirky, you know, I'm not saying that they're just, oh, that's a nice thing. Oh, Nick Gage of a bloody death match. But massive hard bastard Wardlow versus aging veteran. Yeah, it makes sense. And yeah. I just want some bloody clarification because it was like the graphics seemed to say Wardlow with MJF and the commentary team seemed to say, oh, he's the referee. So don't know but yeah mjf just spectacular on commentary yet again uh we cut backstage we've got the lucha bros there alex abrahantes but no pack he's not at dynamite uh and abrahantes sort of insinuates that someone's interfering with packs travel and then andrade and chavo walk up and say oh do you like your limo do you like how you got here today 
this is what it could always be like if you work for me. And Ray Phoenix says, we don't work for you. We don't work for anyone. And then Penta does a tribute <laughs> to Kai and Ty. He talks for like 30 seconds. And Alex Abrahana says, Penta says, no, <laughs> which tickled me. But I don't know what's going on with, with these, with this stable and with, with uh, Andrade and Chavo. And we'll talk a little bit more about it later. But I was a bit like, eh, after this. Great gag. Uh, abysmal angle. Abysmal. Um, <laughs> Andrade is like, right, Vicky Guerrero wasn't working because people thought she was my mum. So I'm going to bring in Chavo Guerrero, like a, a wrestling legend in inverted commas. What, what are you going to use Chavo for? Interfering with admin. Like, <laughs> Chavo, what are you really good at? Well, um, I can do a frog splash that isn't as good as my uncle's. I can uh, do a three amigos suplex sequence that isn't as good as my uncle's. And He's good at golf. I can hack into someone's Uber account and cancel <laughs> Yeah, I'm good at golf. Um, I hated this man. Hated it. What nonsense, rubbish, garbage content stuff this is mm. for Android. Like what? Like I don't want to. Like I don't want to label this WWE stuff because, like, I know they're a content factor, but sometimes the content's quite funny. It's just artless, frivolous, fluffy nonsense. The thing is, later on in this show, something occurs, and it's fucking awesome, that makes you realise that in a year's time, and this isn't hyperbole, this company is so good at recovering bad ideas that we could be talking about Andrade as potentially one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah. And I think you know what I'm referring to here. Like, because a year ago, we were just all in the pit of computer games. <laughs> like, <laughs> and look where we're at now. So there will always be like another day for any character in this company because there is such a robust process to trust. But why must we continue to wade through the sludge of the bad ideas first? I, everything that is bad on an AEW, all I want to do is say, you could have told a story for a woman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one angle to one woman instead of it. Like anytime anything is bad on Dynamite, and I'm not even asking for a match. I'm asking for characters. I'm asking for angles. I'm asking for stories. And I'm asking for motivations. Right? I'm not one of these people that says every Dynamite needs two women's matches. I think you need to be more elegant than that. Mm. Establish five characters. And then you've got five potential matches, one a week. Like, you have to be pragmatic in your assessment of this division. But every time I look at an angle as pointless as this, I think, how long did a bunch of dude bros in this company sit together and think, right, what uh, limo cancellation stuff are we doing for Charvo when Britt Baker's <laughs> like, I ain't got any opponents, guys. I ain't got anybody to work with. And you're going to send one wrestler out a week to be like, I'm going to challenge you in three weeks. Cool. See you then. Rather <laughs> than like, and, and give valuable TNT time to this nonsense. Like, that's what I think when I see something as pointless feeling as this. I, uh, I enjoyed the majority of this show, but I was very much <laughs> Millhouse. When are we going to get to QT Marshall's apology? I never did. Dropped cold. <laughs> Dropped cold like the drink on Tony's head. <laughs> I think Tony just referenced it as part of Cody's entrance. He just went, oh, by the way, yeah, he said he can't be asked to apologise. I'm not sure if he's going <laughs> to next week or they're just not bothered now anymore. But what about, um, Brits? What about Brits heater? Yeah. Nothing. I just... You'll, you'll relate to this. And, and some people will, whether they're, they're football fans or they're football fans. Teams that me and, uh, me and Sige and Hamlet support, 
often play better when they go one nil down. And that's what AEW seem to do with debut new people. Okay, we'll debut them terribly. Then we'll recover them perfectly. It's like, (laughs) I just debut, like, we've got Andrade. What do you want him to do? Come out flanked by Vicky Guerrero? How about just wait? How about just wait and have him target Death Triangle? Because if Death Triangle finally do split and they go, and the reason was the limo admin. What a load of bollocks. Like... (laughs) He beats up Fuego del Sol later. All right, that that you know adds a bit of heat to it all. But how do you say diverting planes or limos or taxis or whatever? Ooh, damn you! Pointless. Like uh, Phoenix, you're potentially the top babyface in all of wrestling. What swung you to go with Chavo Guerrero? Well, he knows his way around one of them two-step password logins. I fair enough. Yeah, good, good call, good career move. Yeah, like, you, won't be, you won't believe what it got me out of someone's PayPal. <laughs> we had another backstage segment, which was much better next. It was the Dark Order with Tony Schiavone. They were being asked about losing their, their match and obviously losing their shot at the tag titles. When Hangman Page storms in, apologises for losing the match last week, he's yet again blaming himself, taking it all, all the responsibility onto him. And Dark will say, don't worry about it. Look, we're, we're all friends here. We've always got you back. And he goes, no, I think it's time for us to split. You know, I'm a poisonous influence yet again. He's in that headspace. For now, we're done. Paige walks off. We'll see more of him later. And Evil Uno says, guys, let's respect his wishes. Let's give him his space. Oh, I just want to give him a cuddle. Loved this. So last week's um, tag team match felt like the angle was peaking at the perfect time. And then everybody gets the hearts broken, draws an enormous number because people love it. Always worth remembering in wrestling that things can't boil before they've simmered. And this absolutely simmered ahead of yet another angle that would boil later on. Just lush and even better by the end of the night and by what else we saw later on in the show. Brilliant. We talk about great debuts in AEW. One came next. It was 2.0, the former Everize, Matt Lee, Jeff Parker. I was like a nervous parent watching this. Uh, they teamed with a brilliant Daniel Garcia, who you should go and check out on Dark uh, if you enjoyed him here. I know Andy Morris is a huge fan of his. They're taking on the, uh, I suppose they're all right, team of John Moxley, Eddie Kingston and Darby Allen before the match, a promo where they went, oh, just let's take that ball and just knock it out of the park, baby. They basically just do all the catchphrases. You get a taste, Moxley. Oh, we can take a swing. They, oh God, honestly, for for all my, you know, illness-addled minds today, I was like sweating, but not through it. Just like, come on, please. And I, I, I realize we are incredibly biased here, but I just want to give credit to Matt Jeff and Daniel Garcia as well, because in terms of convincing people that they should be signed by AEW, I don't think they could have done better than what they did here. They were the perfect opponents for this dream team. And I, I, it's been shared everywhere. That shot of Moxley, Kingston and Sting, where oh, it's God. like, I'm trying to work out what to compare it to. Maybe you can help me here, Hamlet, because I was thinking it's like bumping into the weird kid who was in your year, but you haven't seen him for 10 years. And you're just like, hey, here he is on a night out and you're a bit pissed because... They're not three people you associate with hanging out together. And yet, oh, I couldn't get over that visual. What an amazing image that was. Um, I was drawn to John Moxley in that moment because I don't want to cast aspersions, but I feel like I've lived this chapter of his life. And just for a split second, he forgot he was going to be going home to sleepless nights and nappies. Like, <laughs> because he's in there with his best mate and presumably one of his idols. It was just lovely. It was so, so nice. And like you say, it didn't matter particularly that 
it shouldn't make sense because AEW has been so wonderful at constructing a lot of relationships that on the surface don't make sense and then making them make sense and then bringing people together. This match on any other Dynamite would have been the highlight of Dynamite. The main event was really great. Um, and we are biased and we do want 2.0 specifically. Danny Garcia was great, by the way. My yeah. first experience with him too and I will be going looking for more. Um, a great night for 2.0. A great night for AW because what we talked about yesterday in the preview about this being just more evidence of the company really understanding how to reach their audience in all the tiny ways as well as the big ones. The fans were so hot for this and it wasn't just because of that, like that Moxley pop, you know, or mm. the, like Kingston as well, like the the tag to King, the reaction that Kingston got was a like, do you really need to give him that Kenny match? Because <laughs> for one night, people will receive this guy as the number one contender at that title. Darby Allen at this point, obviously, is kind of a champion elect, isn't he? Like mm. they've got, he's one of that gang, your MJF, your Sammy Guevara's, your, wow, they're, they're, un, they're bubbling under next main event scene is wild. But like, I, 2.0 had it too. The fans couldn't have been more into all of these guys. And that spot halfway through, you want to take a sting? Um, <laughs> just being so starstruck was so perfect. Like you, it's it's harder than it looks to balance that because how often do we criticize WWE for forcing their like younger guys yeah. to be in awe of the legends? Like it's a really hard balance to strike and they nailed it here because of course it would be, um, I was going to say ever rise there, our 2.0, 2.0. Like, it was, like, very in keeping of those as comedy characters and Sting as a legend. Like, look how, as an outside guy, they've done this tonight with 2.0 and then the other week with Orange Cassidy. How they're deploying Sting as a guy in the arena floor lately is just mm. inspired. Um, this did indeed steal the show. So <laughs> I look forward to them being able to talk about this on YouTube. Like... Give me the graphic. Give me the all elite graphic. Give me more being the elite content. Um, give them turning the profundity of a road to upside down with their official signing video or something like that. Um, what a triumph all of this was. What a joyous, like fun 10 minute TV. This is what I'm talking about. This would have fit perfectly. Like if you put this in place of um, the Kaz match from last week, mm. You're dealing with like an all-timer dynamite because this was everything like a wrestling mid-card match needed to be. Loved it. Recommended for our listeners to go and check out the AEW post-show. Yep, guess who they got to host that. And uh, <laughs> early guess that Sting is going to be the chew of the week because if we don't like you, you get it, chew. Uh, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about what happened in the match because uh, initially, obviously, the, the baby... Fe- well then, 2.0 baby faces in my heart. Regardless, Moxley, Kingston and Allen take control initially, but in comes Matt Lee and batters Allen. So he tags in Kingston and Lee, stupidly, I love you, Matt, don't have a chop battle with Eddie Kingston. <laughs> so he beats him down into the corner. Jeff Parker, cheap shot, that allows uh, Lee to, to chop block Kingston to take, allow him to take control just, I mean, even JR, I could tell, was loving the quick tags, the, the FTR-esque isolation of... Uh, Moxley just wanting to get involved, by the way, at this point, when he just nipped around and clipped him just to keep in the fight. Class. Yeah, Kingston's going for a, for a, hot, a huge hot tag for Moxley, and they, they cut him off. Eventually, he just comes around, takes out Garcia. This is the moment where Lee gets distracted by Sting, and sweet Jesus, we've always talked about it, but Darby Allen has the best tope in the oh. business. He, yeah. it was like he got hit by a truck 
the Lee just taken out of it all. Eventually, Moxie takes, gets the hot tag, comes in, takes out both of 2.0, hits a huge paradigm shift on Garcia, tags in Allen, coffin drop, one, two, three. I will point out, 2.0, not pinned, so they haven't lost a match in AW yet, technically. That was Danny Garcia being rubbish. I'm joking, Danny, of course. But, yeah, just for what it was, I don't know, five, ten minutes, I thought this was just wonderful. So are we saying to carry on a brilliant and much-lamented dropped NXT angle, they're still undefeated in yeah. tag team action. That's carrying on then. Like, they are un- <laughs> they're unbeaten in the tag ranks. Young Bucks, you're going to take a swing or what? Just great stuff. Uh, then we got sort of back and forth promos uh, from Brian Gage and Team Taz. Basically, Gage says, I'm going to murder you, Team Taz. And Team Taz says, uh, strength in numbers, effectively, here. Um, <laughs> Brian, I don't need Team Taz. I think you do, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm concerned. Uh, not great. Again, um, I they're not getting... Oh, I don't know what it is. They're not like... feel like... This Team Taz angle is in a straitjacket and I'm waiting for Brian Cage as a powerhouse babyface to bust out of it. Mm. And it's just not happening yet. And I don't know what that is. Exactly, yeah. It's just something and nothing, effectively, this. What wasn't was the mad basketball sketch that came next. Uh, Anderson spinning a basketball on his finger for, I don't know, 2,000 rotations or something. I don't know what Doc Gallows is wearing, but I want it for my birthday. (laughs) And they're all slamming hoops home or whatever they bloody call it. And they've they've accepted that the Dark Order can challenge those Impact Tag Team Championships for Dynamite next week. The Young Bucks talk about retiring their jerseys and hanging them up here in Daly's place because there's literally no one left to challenge them. Well, there's a team who's just in in the ring who could challenge them. Anyway, um, and Omega in this great spot is talking about Hangman Page and him getting all these opportunities and he's he's swooshing baskets. You can probably tell I don't really play or watch any basketball, but go Bucks, NBA champions and all that. I don't really know a lot about it, but I met some <laughs> Americans and they gave me a, a Milwaukee Bucks hat. So Janice, yep. Uh, and then he, of course, says how Page blew it last week. He misses the, the final shots. And uh, Brandon Cutler, I've got, forgot to mention, that the, when they talk, it's like the conch shell. They're passing it around. You can talk when you've got the basketball. Brandon Cutler grabs it at one point, starts cutting a broom. They're like, no, 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 no. give it back. Brandon <laughs> Cutler climbs a ladder and cuts down the uh, down the net of the, the hoop. And so many poppers here. I'm probably, I've missed quite a lot, pamphlet. But uh, yeah, just the arrogance of the champions yet again on display. Yes. Um, fittingly elite tier stuff from the, the lads here. Um the vibe reminded me of, I don't know if you've seen um, a Paul Rudd mockery of a romantic comedy called They Came Together, um, mm. Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. And every scene is a kind of like cliched parody of a rom-com. And there's a scene where Paul Rudd and his friends, and you see this in a lot of films, like lovely autumnal day, I think it's set in New York, autumnal day where they're all playing basketball and like on a public court. And then, then like all the dialogue is really stilted and jokey. And it's like, yeah, man, like, how do, you, how do you feel about potentially getting in a long-term relationship? And it's all expedition on purpose. But every time, like, so you've got two characters always having, like, the main conversation. But in the background, to make basketball noises, every character, even if they haven't got the ball, are just going, basketball, 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 basketball. <laughs> and that's what they said, because they kept, the way they kept the energy up, while you had, like, Kenny Omega sinking it when he was talking, then missing it when it was coming to talking about Hangman Page. Just, mwah, delicious. Um so that was brilliant. Content was great because it's still on message and it's still selling pay-per-views. So 
with apologies to people that like don't like this material, this was still designed to be getting you to eventually buy tickets and t-shirts and you know pay-per-view, and that's what this is all about. Mm. And let's talk about the attire. So you've got Doc Gallows in a Ric Flair robe. What else did I see in this image? I saw Ric Flair, a recently released WWE title. I saw a Bollywood Boys t-shirt, a recently released WWE title. I saw Hawaiian shirts, almost as if I need to follow the buzzards rather than the books, Adam Wilborn. And I saw a Cookie Monster t-shirt, which of course we all know what somebody once said his first initials stood for. Really, really, really nice. Um, my cup of tea, all of this, very much so. Which I guess some of them would like because they don't drink, do they? But like, <laughs> it's, uh, I, this was so great. The Much like the entrance last week was a perfect contrast to the Dark Orders in that it meant everything to the baby faces and the heels almost like took the piss out the, the principle of all of this. This was their opportunity to luxuriate in how great they were and how they never needed to take this seriously in the first place. And again, just like the Dark Order promo early in the night, by the time the segment had taken place, all of this was even better because you know exactly who this heel is and why he is who he is and exactly the baby face is and who he is and why he is. Anybody that was worrying about what might have been taking place in order to derail, people were feeling like Hangman Page was about to be derailed. Like we said, and we did say, by all means, listen to the news, but wait for the product itself to give you an indication of where this is going. And I like to think this episode of Dynamite was one giant, don't worry, from the company. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Well, that was all followed by uh, Christian Cage. He was facing the Blades, uh, they brawl before the bell even happens. And a nice note by commentary where they were like, the ref didn't even have a chance to check him for brass knucks, which, yeah, was a kind of dumb mistake on the on the behalf, but also nice that they noted it. Was that Rick Knox as well? Yes. Because, 
they this is happening, isn't it? Dodgy ref, uh, ref on the take of the elite mm. is something they've already like been like I believe quite heavy handed with in the world of being the elite and such like, and now it's starting to happen more and more on Dynamite. So like Rick Knox's integrity as a referee is now something to watch and enjoy every week. And this was nice because it wasn't directly related to the Young Bucks or something like that. Mm. Uh, so Blades it doesn't want any piece of Christian in early on. He uh, legs it around the ring. Christian is confronted by the bunny, who's obviously accompanied the blade to ringside. But he's not a stupid baby face. Yes, she's distracting him. But I think Excalibur said he heard the footsteps. Regardless, he doesn't get sneak attacked by the blade. He turns around, sends him into the barricade, goes up top uh, after they get back in the ring. But Bunny grabs his leg. This is the cue for Layla Hirsch, who, of course, is facing the Bunny for that number one contenders match later on to come out. And they brawl to the back. Um, Blade recovers, eventually takes Christian out with a rope rebound suplex. Lovely stuff, that. God, I love the Blade's body. Jesus, what I'd give for that. Um so uh, Blade is in control as we come out of commercial, but Christian dodges a corner spear, sends Blade into the post, follows it up from uh, follows it up by coming off the top turnbuckle, tweaks his knee because he dives and sort of axe handles him uh, on the floor. He hits the uh, drop down uppercut thing of his, goes onto the ropes, uh, sunset flip for a two count, goes to the kill switch, Blade counters it into a tornado DDT and a power slam for a near fall. Blade hits a release suplex, hits a kick. Goes to the turnbuckle, well, attempts to rip off the turnbuckle cover to distract the official so he can get the brass knucks and twat Christian with it. But he turns right around into a spear. One, two, three. More about Christian later, of course. But your thoughts on the match, Hampler? I thought this was good. Um, I didn't have a bad time. Christian's a great um, live events wrestler in the sense that he, he's not the most entertaining guy on a TV show but why he's such an artist at this is because like how hot for the, were the crowd by the end and they're kind of only doing the basics and why he's so brilliant and valuable is because he makes the basics hot and that's what's really cool doesn't doesn't always translate on television and we get back to this kind of age-old conversation is that like he's signing for the locker room as much as he's signing for the fans and you've got to try and find the sweet spot there I'm not still not sure where I landed on this because as hot as that crowd were, and as much as you are kind of invested in the last two or three minutes because Christian's done this like dark arts, black magic way, like, I care now. And <laughs> all we've had is like a, or, or we've had an inverted commas as a body part or whatever. I'm not sure that he is anywhere as close to world championship caliber as they perhaps need him to be. Hmm. And I don't know how you escalate that in. So we don't know where a title shot is going to be, but it's coming. And the match, I think, will be pretty amazing, actually. But in terms of getting you hyped for it, I'm not sure where they find that because it, it's these matches don't do that. These matches are a different kind of enjoyable. They're not um, you're hanging on a knife edge for Christian to get that last win so that you can finally get a, a match against Kenny Omega. To like, he is literally outworking everyone exactly like he said he would do, but not in that way that he's putting himself above the rest of the chasing pack. Like they probably, in terms of this show, you've already you've already specifically pointed this out. Anything from the 10 minutes this match went or Darby Allen's dive, who would you want to see against Kenny Omega? Yeah. And and I, that's something I, I don't think they've ever really tried maybe to, to reconcile, but they might have to. They might have to try and find a way to do that in the in the two weeks or whatever before we have the Omega match. Also, where the bloody hell was Matt Hardy and Jungle Boy in all this? Yeah, weird. That straight singles 
Um, I mean, there was 50 people out there for the bunny and Leila Hirsch. So maybe that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, God, next. I don't mean to have a go. It's just I've just remembered the shot that they showed. As part of that Santana and Ortiz FDR promo. Look how his arm got ripped open. No, thank you. You can just tell me. You don't need to show me the arm getting ripped open or the blood or the bit where you think that bone stick out of his arm. Sporting's greatest injuries in slow motion video, whatever it was, over and over again. Not not what I needed this morning. But uh, yeah, Dax Harwood cuts a great impassioned promo about almost watching his friend die and Santana and Ortiz say this is far from over. Good, because I felt like you know, obviously the match didn't really live up to expectations regardless of the injury, but also they've got a nice sort of get our jail free card to say, let's run it all back and let's do the, the five-star match that we know these four can have. Yeah, I, it's, we touched upon this last week. Um, it, it might be a stroke of luck, this injury. Mm. It's The match just wasn't clicking last week. Um, and you have to assume, obviously, because FTR went over in that match, that they were destined to win this one in what was going to be the first of a series or maybe a build-up to, like, PMP eventually getting the big win. Now, it's taken on a new life, hasn't it? Mm. The idea that, like, a guy nearly died. It's not just about a career nearly ending or about wanting to get up the rankings. It's about a guy nearly died. So, yeah, I um, I like this more than I did. So, they, they've probably looked into something here. Like you say, they've sort of accidentally stumbled into it, but the comparison of these two, or these four, I should say, willing to die to beat each other. Meanwhile, what are the young books doing? Strutting around, doing bloody macho man impressions or whatever it may be. They're the bloody champions! Anyway, speaking of champions, we had a Dr. Britt Baker DMD promo next. Uh, she comes out, she talks about winning the AW Women's Championship right here in Jacksonville when she's interrupted by Red Velvet, who comes out, insults her, says she wants a piece of DMD, and Baker, with a zinger, says, I mean, I beat you in three minutes last time we fought, but Velvet says, well, back then I was enhancement talent, now I'm 22 and four, I've earned myself a title shot. Baker accepts and announces it is going to be on AEW Rampage in Baker's hometown next Friday Uh I, I still don't understand why Britt Baker isn't a baby face, but Rebel tries to attack Red Velvet, who dodges it, but uh, Baker uses this distraction to attack her, curb stomp her, and drive the crutch into the throat. Um, I'm, I'm no doubt this match is going to be great. I just, it, it's inexplicable what they're doing with Britt Baker at the moment, Hamflet. What, what do they know that we don't? So, Ramp- I was glad that you said that because I thought that was the case and I forgot to check. Rampage is in Britsburg. Pennsylvania next week, isn't it? Like, the biggest pop of the night. You're not not telling stories. You're not booking this division. You're just writing a woman's name down on a napkin and saying she'll do for a three-week thing. For God's sake, later on in the night, and we want to talk about it here because I'm going to forget otherwise and my blood's boiling. They set up a match with a sodding look. Yeah, right. Aye. So, like... You're not you're not telling stories in this women's division. You're not. You're just you're setting up matches, you know, in a very sort of WWE or NXT way where it's just a title match for a title match's sake. A wrestler will come out. I've mixed feelings on the rankings because I think like it's great that they exist for Red Velvet to be able to say I've like got this record and I'm unbe- unbeaten in seven. But I still think I'm not sure this is a very popular opinion, but I still think it's somewhat undermined by so much of it taking place on dark and dark elevation as, as, oh, yeah. as padding. I don't know, like, I don't know how much quantity matches up against quality here. 
And I know you can't like hold it to an exact science pro wrestling. You need to use it when you can and ignore it when you can't. But I don't feel what they're trying to make me feel when Red Velvet says she's got all these wins racked up because it's like, well, have I seen any of them? Like at least Christian's run has happened virtually all on Dynamite. So I, I know that he's winning matches to get to Kenny. I don't feel like I've experienced Red Velvet's journey up the rankings one bit. And like, so that makes me like, it just, it, it just contradicts the kayfabe of it. But of all the people head of a TV taping in Britt Baker's hometown, I would argue, have they picked the best baby face in the women's division outside of <laughs> herself to be a heel in front of Britt Baker's hometown crowd set up by Britt Baker playing heel and choking her with a crutch? I just don't get it. I, no. What what are they? This trust the process. This is the listening company. Blah blah blah. What are they doing and seeing that none of us can see with this? Because it just feels so disconnected from what everybody just desperately wants. This is. I completely agree. This is the biggest problem with AEW right now. I'd say you know disregarding all the rosters a bit bloated and blah blah people disappearing onto dark and like you say when Jade Cargill popped up later and said oh, I've been missing for a while I was like have you I have no idea like I I I would associate you uh, Red Velvet and Take On T all as either I assumed you're either on dark or you're missing I don't I don't know and I was talking yeah. about this on the news this morning Ruby Riot Ruby Soho I think she's called now fantastic addition to the AW roster, really underutilized in WWE. Pre- presumably the, the Joker in the Casino Battle Royal at All Out in Chicago. She's from Chicago. That makes a lot of sense. But you've got such talent now. Initially, you go, okay, they've got like Britt Baker, which they sort of fudged initially. You know, I'm not putting anyone any blame on any specific person for that. You've got Riho, you've got Nyla Rose, blah, 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 blah. But now you look and you go, Right, you've got Ruby Soho, you've got Britt Baker, you've got Nyla Rose, you've got Tay Conti, you've got bloody Jade Cargill, who I picked as my winner of the uh, the Casino Battle Royal, because I think, you know, even if it's just a five-minute match because she's still learning, she'd be a great heel to be like, oh, Britt Baker, you think you can batter people? Well, see you later, sort of thing. But I just yeah, I just really think they're fumbling the ball with this women's division right now. I just, I, I can't, again, I said dude bro earlier on, and I, I can't get it out of my head that there's that slightly fratty, bro-y atmosphere there. That, like, how is it? I understand that they, like, they're really good with data. It's one of Tony Khan's backgrounds, spreadsheets. And it's so often proven with, like, these awesome quarter hours. And we know Jack compared to these guys that are, like, pouring over this. I'm not sat here going, you're getting this wrong, blah, 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 because they're doing this all on metrics and all that sort of stuff. But, like, how is it that... If the women aren't drawing right, then that's on you to make them feel more important, feel yeah. worthy of a fan's investment, right? So you've only got two hours of television. That's really hard. You're going to get another one with Rampage. Dark and Dark Elevation is kind of like niche luxury content on YouTube that not all of your audience are going to watch and thus Dynamite exists as the proper flagship. I can't see the... I can't see how a writer's room or, you know the creative process within uh, within AW can spend the time it spends on some of these angles and give so little mm. to the women. Pick a heel. Don't, don't pick Red Velvet. Pick a heel for Britt Baker in Pittsburgh next week. Mm. And don't just have that heel come out and cut a promo and say, like, you know, obviously 
I'm up the rankings, I want a title shot, and she gets one or whatever. Don't just have that heel do that. Have that heel explain, well, look, I'm not just going to beat you, Brit. I'm going to out-wrestle you because I've turned to somebody that knows all of your weak points because she's been watching and the camera pans down and it's Serena in her wheelchair raging. She can't have the shot. And it's like that simple little association between her, whoever the heel is, and Serena. And it's like, we know that Serena is the real threat, but until she can get out of that chair, it's going to have to be through somebody else. And then you've established an alliance. You've instilled threat in that heel because they've been listening to like one of the best in the world. And then one day Serena's going to stand up and then Britt Baker's knee deep because like she's the ultimate threat or who, you know, like, and you can do that with like two or three different heels or you could align a little stable. Again, you can't now because they seemingly will not turn Britt Baker formally for whatever reason that is. I just, and like, like I just came up with that off the top of my head while we were having a conversation here. It doesn't even seem like those conversations are taking no. place in the AW frat house. And I wish they were because we, I think, were kinder than a lot of people about the efforts at the start of this year to fix the division. You named several names there. Not all of them had angles every week, but you felt like, like what is it, a rising tide raises all ships? Yeah. Like all the names felt like they were being elevated by the gradual elevation of two or three major stars. It's gone again. It has gone again, and it needs fixing. This was followed by the bit with Fuego del Sol being uh, appointed to shine Andrade's shoes. He's not going to do it. Andrade kicks the crap out of him, throws him into a garage door. And uh, Charlie effectively says, if you keep working for Pac Lucha Bros, you'll never be champions. Yeah, I'll log into your iPhone. Like, <laughs> this was better. This was better. Yeah. But grading on a curve. Right. Then we got uh, Hangman Page. He came out to, to talk to Tony Schiavone about what happened and his relationship with the Dark Order. But of course, the elite interrupt. There's just so many of them coming out. It was like the NWO back in the day going, no, we're not having this. This is our show, our show sort of thing. Um, Omega's talking about whether Paige is actually here to, to, to plead to try and rejoin the elite, but Paige says, I'm not, that's not why I'm here. Uh, Omega mocks him, talks about his relationship with the fans. Thought about giving Paige a shot, but eh, you wouldn't fit in with the elite. We don't have losers in our group. Brandon Cutler stood there in the ring. No offence, Brandon. Um, Paige has had enough. Slaps the taste out of Omega's mouth, but there's all of the elite in there. So they beat him down. Kenny's directing traffic. They hit him with a magic killer. The Dark Order run out to make the save, but Evil Ono and Stu Grayson stop them because of what Hangman Page said earlier on in the night. And they just have to go to the back whilst they murder Hangman Page. Uh, repeated BTE triggers from the Young Bucks. Frankie Gazarian tries to run out and make the save, but numbers game catches up to him as well. And Omega talks about allowing Paige to have a nice close look at the world title. It's as close as he's ever going to get to it. and just nails him with the belt. Still a chance, Hamlet. There's still a chance. This was amazing. This was absolutely amazing. This was devastating, and that's why it was amazing. I Wrestling is supposed to make you feel devastated and sad and gutted before you feel elated because the feeling of elation is supposed to be informed by the feeling of devastation. This was fantastic at doing that. Um, the idea that the Dark Order would be divided over what to do for Hangman Page, Uno and Grayson having his best interests at heart mm. while letting him get the kicked out of him is such a cool... Um, it's not the first time it's been done. Um, I want to give a shout-out to um, at Brumega, great name, by the way, <laughs> who um, put the two visuals together in a nice video on Twitter of when Cody wanted to throw the towel in for Kenny in 
uh, against Okada and the Young Bucks stopped him. Slightly different set of circumstances there because Cody was trying to drive a wedge between the Bullet Club and he kind of wanted to screw Omega a little bit. But the visuals were great. Kenny has been in that ring before taking a beat and looking on at this divided group, you know, not knowing what's best for him. I like, really like the visuals. Also, WWE did this once really effectively. Mick Foley was battering Shane McMahon and Shawn Michaels held the corporation back. And it reminded me of that. And speaking of Shawn Michaels, um, if anybody wants to do this homework and, you know, Cedric's going to batter me for bringing so much WWE into an AEW podcast. <laughs> there was a really forgotten segment on the road to WrestleMania 14 because it's all Titan, isn't it? You think about Titan when you think about that build. But there was this amazing segment where DX have got Austin tied in the ropes and it was the only way you could ever really stop Steve Austin. You know, you've got to physically restrain him and he's tied in the ropes. And Michaels is holding the belt, the best WB title belt, the winged eagle belt, literally squashing it against his face, right? And they loop it for a video package and he's going, this is it. This is it, Austin. This is it. This is as close as you were ever going to get. And Sean's saying that is great at the time because you're like, he's the guy that says he won't let down for anybody. What if he doesn't do the job? And that's why <laughs> Undertaker had to tape his fist. Yes. But like, this is it. This is it, Austin. And I like this angle transported me back to being 12 years old, 13 I might have been, and just panicking, legitimately panicking that this bastard was right. Mm. Like, what if this is it? And of course it's not it. And now I'm a grown-up. I don't need to feel that panic. I can just feel the sadness tonight knowing that the happy day will one day come. Fucking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. In its own way, if you include both segments, the elite's backstage stuff, basketball, 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 and the Dark Order <laughs> stuff, and the payoff to all of this, I think I think this was as good, if not better, than the elimination tag. Wow. Because I didn't love that elimination tag. Thought lots of it was great, but as a match, I felt it slightly under-delivered. It was yet again, AEW getting me too hyped to maybe give me the payoff I craved on the night. Um, result was brilliant, but I thought some of the body of the match sagged a little bit. Mm. This... Christ, I'm, I'm like right back there. I want a 10-man tag next week. Give me another <laughs> one. Give me another go. Like, I, I just felt so much for this. Amazing. Do not fear for Hangman Page's life, even if you don't get what you want all out. The day will come. Exactly. Uh, then we got a promo from uh, Dan Lambert of American Top Team. He talked about... Yes. ...getting hit by Lance Archer, getting hit as hard. I think he said... It, it, the only thing that hits harder is the truth that he was telling or something along those lines. Yeah. He's going to bring back up next week, which I got. I thought, oh my God, we might get Jorge Masvidal or Amanda Nunes in an AW ring, which would just be sensational. But yes, exactly. This felt like a one and done thing of like, oh, we're just going to, you know, mug off Jim Cornette and get, you know, Dan Lambert sort of power at that. But you, you've experienced him in, in Impact, of course, doing something similar to this. Hmm. And it doesn't look like they're, they're just stopping with that that promo the other week. Yeah, America's top team is a riot. If you just search that on YouTube or Dan Lambert's name, you'll find some awesome promos. What a natural he was and how great he was here as well. Send him to the Olympics to do shooting because he is the real truth teller. Um, <laughs> big fan of what he's going to do. Me and Andy Murray were discussing this over the desk this morning um, and I want to give credit to him for this prediction. So I suggested that, well, he's going to want to come for Lance Archer and Lance Archer is the United States champion. As Dan Lambert opened the forbidden door, and then, as you said, Jorge Masvidal, Murray suggests, well, he's looking for an MMA, a guy with roots in MMA. Minoru Suzuki, can you imagine, <laughs> is coming for Lance Archer in the US title. 
Um, it might not be. It might not be a forbidden door thing at all. It's just interesting that Archer's got the belt, throws that open. Um, aye. Him as a mouthpiece to anyone is awesome. Him as a mouthpiece for a possible um, New Japan match, great. Him as a mentor for somebody that already exists in uh, AEW because he's been loitering around backstage after his one <laughs> visit, something like that. You know, all of it. This is like, this was overflowing with potential. Yeah. And what came next, we alluded to it earlier, was a brilliant TNT Championship match. Lee Johnson challenging Miro, just coming up just a tad short, let's say. Uh, oh, my God, Miro looked a million dollars here. Initially, uh, just <laughs> Lee Johnson runs at him. He just takes him down straight away. Just no selling, shrugging off strikes, catches him as he comes off the, rope, the top rope, slamming him, immediately going for game over. But thankfully, Lee Johnson gets out to the floor. Miro insists that Lee Johnson tries to hit him as hard as he can. He does. Nothing happens. So Johnson counters a big pop-up powerbomb or whatever it was that Miro's going for into a DDT. Miro no-sells. It gets straight back up. And then just, oh, I just love this sell. About It's like a delayed effect. About 10 seconds later, he's like, oh, hang on a second. Oh, he's all wobbly. So Johnson sees his opportunity, goes in, drop kicks Miro to the floor, topes to the outside, several dives out there. Johnson goes for a diving crossbody. Has he got him beaten? No, Miro kicks out a one. <laughs> one. Uh, goes for a German suplex, Miro, but Johnson flips out, lands on his feet, thrust kicks, goes up to the top, hits a frog splash, gets a two count, goes to hoist Miro up. Miro fights out of it, though, and just kicks his head off, kicks him in the back, game over, immediate stoppage, and, oh, my days, what a transformation Miro has had in AEW. Amazing, 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 amazing. Um, yes, one day we will be able to laugh about Chavo Guerrero, administrator, as we do about Miro the gamer, because one day Andrade is going to be doing that spinning back fist on poor suckers coming out of the factory like <laughs> Lee Johnson was here. This was amazing. I, uh, six super kicks, was it? <laughs> what a brilliant idea. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii energy in Miro's selling here. I will just take it and take it and take it and then come back and bat you for even daring to step to me in the first place. Um, Ishii, of course, uses that as a baby face. Miro uses it as an unstoppable heel. God, I cannot get enough of this character. I cannot get enough of the work. I love watching a pro wrestler that is just completely locked into a gimmick and locked into a character because all of the work is like turbocharged. Mm. You know, he feels um, like a... You guys always, you and Sidgwick always like really sort of wax lyrical about like those awesome 80s films that I can never really be arsed with. He feels like the robot supervillain that they can't find a way to destroy in like uh, the middle part of the film. So they have to go back to basics and they have to find a way. Like what? what's the robot's one weakness? Well, it turns out we left the trap door in the leg. If we can get one shot in at the leg, it turns out it'll shut down his whole mainframe or something like that. That feels like Miro at the moment. Nobody can get into the mainframe. Maybe Charbo Guerrero can. Maybe he can hack into Miro's mainframe frame and finally stop him but um i just fantastic stuff uh lee johnson was great i love um lee johnson i think um when they put obviously the whole thing was designed for him to buy off cutie marshall to set up the split you know like hey you're really great too but um <laughs> like bucket loads of potential in lee johnson i like watching oh, yeah. him work and i liked watching as i liked watching him think he had a chance as much as i enjoyed watching him suffer so that's the best he could have hoped for from this Miro is, what's so cool about the TNT title at this point, is in possession of the one guy that you would fancy to beat Kenny Omega any day of the week. 
Mm. So that's a pretty cool thing of your secondary champion. There's nothing secondary about him. Just love that that DDT spot because he pops up and I was like, oh, and then he starts selling it like, oh, hang on a second. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this morning. <laughs> this wasn't happening to be moaning at Miro to wake her up, but still. I love as well, when you have dominant wrestlers, any wrestler that can pull off the only way, like, can I have one bleep? Are you ready for the time? I've got it, yeah. Yeah. There's an art in wrestling, to a wrestler being able to say, for fuck's sake, as <laughs> if they've just been, as if like a train's just been delayed. And it's, I'm absolutely sick of this. And the one Miro did before he went for the game over was like, I just felt it. Mm. Just relatable content from a guy that I will never have anything else in common with. Uh, they announced the announced team for AEW Rampage. It's going to be Excalibur, Mark Henry, Taz, and Chris Jericho. Four commentators, Jeremy. That's insane. And then we got Tony <laughs> Schiavone backstage with Christian Cage. He is revealed as the new number one contender for the AEW world title. Uh, he gets asked about whether he's going to back up Layla Hirsch because obviously she brawled to the back with the bunny uh, and he does a thank you for being a friend spot. Tickled me that did. Uh, but he said, uh, don't worry, Layla's fine. Uh, she doesn't just have friends. She's got best friends looking after her today. He talked about coming back to cement his legacy, win championships, outwork everyone. But he's also been known to stir a little shh. And he's not good. There's a better word to describe that. He's elite. Lovely tease, this. Yeah, I like this. Um, again, I don't think he's... Uh, and they've, they've got time, I guess, to get there. He doesn't. He just doesn't feel like... Um, a big time opponent for Kenny Omega. Uh, you know, all outright, when the news broke that it's probably not going to be Hangman Page and people are it's sounding like Christian, I think a lot of people really dreaded that. Mm. But to sort of call back on something we've discussed about all out before, assuming a certain cookie monster has arrived in AW by then, is it the worst thing to put a slightly milk toast Kenny Omega match on an undercard? Like on that night of all nights, not least if somebody else debuts, if it's an Adam Cole or a Daniel Bryan or whoever, there are worse nights for Kenny Omega and Christian to happen. So might this be, yeah. I know it's not very thrilling and scintillating, but is this a tactical move? Failing that, it's not bad for, it's not bad for Arthur Ashe. It's not bad for the United Centre. It's not bad for et cetera, et cetera. And they've already sold those tickets. So it doesn't need to be a draw. Yeah. Um. I would like to feel more for it, but in terms of the business end of things, maybe they're thinking this one through. Let's move on to the number one contenders match for the NWA Women's World Championship. It is the Bunny versus Layla Hirsch. Just she, jaw-dropping what Layla Hirsch can do every time she steps in the ring. Uh, back and forth, Hirsch hits a dive to the outside. She's going for Bunny's arm. That's the, the story of this entire match. But Bunny pulls her hair to, uh, to force a break. And uh, Bunny hits her with a backstabber, sends her out to the floor, running dropkick as we go to commercial. And uh, the NWA Women's World Champion, Camille, she is shown at ringside. We come back from the break as Hirsch is hitting a superplex from the top rope. Here's where they inexplicably set up Nyla Rose and Chris Statlander via a look. Weird. Uh, then Hirsch hits several German suplexes, corner kicks, dropkick for a two cam. Goes for the cross arm breaker, but uh, Bunny rolls it up into a pin, so she has to break it up. Hirsch hits that knee strike of hers and then hits the step-up moonsault. Oh, no water in the pool, though. Uh, Bunny takes advantage, thrust kick, Death Valley driver, goes for a finisher, but Hirsch fights out 
uh, after a near fall for that Death Valley driver, by the way. Fights out, get her in the, gets her in the cross-arm breaker, submits the bunny. She is the new number one contender. And what a visual afterwards. Layla Hirsch and Camille, ridiculous and yet still believable that uh, Hirsch has got a good shot for this NWA Women's World Championship. Yeah, um, super effective, this, in a, in a lot of ways. Um, for all, it's, it's a bugger because it's all for the NWA title. And it's all for their pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, but I hope, ultimately, everything we saw here can one day be woven into stories for the AEW Women's Division. You just say, a look isn't enough for a match. But no. that's, that's what they were trying to get from this. But um, what do we talk about yesterday? This awesome ingredient in the Layla Hurst match where she thinks, I'm going to have to try something else because the submission strategy isn't working. And it never hits. Two things. She's going to have to do that against Camille. And it's not going to work again. And they yet again get to like, one day, that's going to hit. One day, Layla Hirsch's big gamble is going to pay off. And how awesome is that going to be? Oh. Because it's going to be like, not only can I tap you, but I can do this too. Like, I've got something Young Bucks in my back pocket. I just haven't managed to actually pull it off yet. <laughs> so I love I love that so much about these Layla Hirsch matches. I um, thought this was good. Bunny um, should be developing a reputation now as somebody that might have mastered the art of these last quarter hour dynamo oh, women's Yeah. They're great. She's really good in them. Um, she takes losses in them fantastically, but she makes the whole thing feel richer um, when she's on offense. She's great on the cell. Um, so I hope there's a reward in kind. It should be the bunny versus Britt Baker. Perfect heel for Britt Baker yes. in her hometown. Yeah, that would have been great. Never mind. Um, but yeah, super effective um, at selling a match for somebody else's pay-per-view. But that's not a criticism because AEW have been integral in this open world relationship with NWA, New Japan, blah, 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 and let it not be an impact and let it not be an abusive relationship. You know, you've got to play the game. And if you're mm-hmm. going to get all the benefits of one side, on of Tanahashi appearing on a dynamite, you've got to give back out as well. And I think this was quite noble stuff. Um, I'm all in favour of the open world, so I've got to be in favour of dynamite playing the game rather than just reaping the benefits. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I've seen, like, criticism for that already, and I think now nah, you've got, like... You've got to help out as well as get the, get the rewards. And the face-off was inspired. Give mm-hmm. me every version of Rey Mysterio poking his nose on Great Carly's nipples for the rest <laughs> of time because big versus small is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then we got a promo from uh, Jade Cargill and Mark Sterling. Uh, they talked about why Cargill's been missing. They've been exploring other ventures, businesses, Hollywood, etc. cetera. Uh, but Cargill is back. She's ready to wrestle. She's back on Elevation on Monday, which is very appropriate for her. Uh, and the sky's the limit because Cargill's that bitch. I love Jade Cargill, Hamlet, and good. More of her on AWTV. Yeah, she's class. Um, it, this is, again, um, it's not much, but it's something. And in the case of Jade Cargill specifically, it might be the best kind of something because we really don't know what she's got to offer. She's still green and still mm. new to all this, but the instincts were there. The instincts mm. were blatantly there in what little we got of her. So maybe it's all been factory stuff. And now we're going to start getting the reps. We're going to start getting the... Like one, one day, Jade Cargill, like she gets this promo time, but one day Jade Cargill is going to be like, hey, I'm 16 and 0. And I'm like, are oh, you? Yeah? Okay. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to go back and do my YouTube homework. Right. Let's get to the main event of the evening. Cody Rhodes versus Malachi Black. Before we even talk about the match and the fallout, Hamlet, your thoughts on Malachi Black's entrance? Tremendous. Um, 
I really like this and I don't tend to go in for darkness stuff and goth stuff, <laughs> but I really enjoy this. Um, it isn't a silly hat. It's a part of some sort of law that he's trying to establish. I don't care about that, but I think it's a pretty cool look. And NXT, for all of its failings and for all rehearsed, how rehearsed, you know, everything is, their presentation of their entrances, and we've been in full buildings to experience this at takeovers, hit mm. that's such an awesome part of the presentation. Yeah. Everything being timed out to perfection is not always such a bad thing. And I thought AEW nailed this. It wasn't the creaking uh, pallet lifter of Alistair Black's <laughs> raw days. It was far better than that. Um, so yeah, I thought this was really, really impressive. Uh, it left. So what was cool about this was it left a taste, a taste of what Malachi Black was before the match did. And they knew the match was going to do that. So it's only like added value to what, like they knew what was coming and yet they still gave him this presentation. Yeah, and I think it speaks volumes that with all the fallout from this with Cody and the, the the manner of victory and the huge spot we'll talk about in a second, you look on social media and it's a buzz, not just with all that, but with the entrance. And yeah. just another another one to add to the column of, how did you bugger this one up, WWE? What are you playing at? You put him in a cupboard. But anyway, we'll talk about the oh, match. Why, wait a second. Now, you've made a good point here. Let's let's critically analyse this because we're too busy being Markish fanboys, Wilbon. Why? Because I watched Monday Night Raw on Monday, so I know how wrestlers get over. Why was Malachi Black not put in a tag team to lose this week? Because <laughs> got to see him win next week. That's how they make stars. Oh, right. Like you're not going to get that man so money with this sort of clown show nonsense. Guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the match because immediately Black comes in, leg kicks, goes to goes to capitalise on that. But Cody reverses, gets him in the, the figure four and Black goes, oh, I'm going to account for this. And that's ripping your eye out of your socket. That'll do it. Gouges Cody's eyes. Cody comes back, gets an enziguri, but uh, Black's leg sweeps him, puts him in a single leg crab. He's trying to target leg and, and kick the leg out of his leg. Or, no, more specifically, uh, sub submit the leg out of his like anyway uh so cody goes for the crossroads out of nowhere black fights out so cody goes up top and this time black kicks the leg out of his leg to send him flying off the top rope over the turnbuckle into the uh rink uh the timekeeper's area through a table huge spot this is awesome chance we're about two three minutes into this match and you think you look at the clock you look how long's left you're like how are you gonna follow that up well they didn't and they did simultaneously if you understand me because Cody just fights to get back in for a 10 count. And you're like, oh, God, here he comes with this bloody comeback. And, oh, this goes. Nope. Black hits that spinning heel kick, formerly the Black Mass. And not only pins Cody, not only pins Cody in four minutes, pins Cody in four minutes with his foot on his chest. He sort of, not sheepishly, but very arrogantly goes, well, I did tell you. Walks to the back. Tony Giovanni, I love him. But learn from UFC. Maybe don't <laughs> interview someone after they've just got their <laughs> head taken off their shoulders. But I'll allow it because we all knew where this was going. We didn't know where this was going, but it, it, you needed to do it. So he comes in. Cody, Cody, wake up, mate. <laughs> gets him there. Uh, Cody gets on the mic. Uh, he's, you know, selling his, his leg, his leg injury, and obviously taking that 
ridiculous finisher of Black's. Talks about early memories, why he got into wrestling to win the title back, that they took off his daddy. Talks about how much of a great time he's had in wrestling. And we're thinking, is this, this sounds like a, a going away speech. And he talks about uh, starting AW, how people laughed at him and the elite for starting it. Now, AW isn't the alternative. They are competition. He talks about how lucky he's been. He talks about arguing with the EVPs, but regardless, loves him, be forever tethered to them. Uh, talks about Daly's Place. He says, with all respect to Daly's Place, this is the AEW amphitheater. But it's like that bit of alliteration. Says there's no better place. Thanks to the fans. Says his life's been so special. And then seems to suggest he is done. He is retiring. He kneels down. There's screams of no from the audience he takes off one of his boots he's he's saying goodbye basically and malachi black goes no nah, it's not about you mate it's about me he gets back in that crutch i'm not sure if i mentioned it that he was given to try and support him he propped it up in the corner and malachi black goes thanks for that twats cody as a hardy can as he in the back for it stands tall stands over him seems to suggest you don't get to retire on your terms you're retiring on my terms but uh, what a dramatic conclusion to AEW Dynamite Homecoming. Yeah, let's do the promo first, because I want to end this podcast on a high. Um, it were all the fans in Daly's Place chanting, no, or some of them chanting, no, 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 Because I heard that from corners of Daly's Place. And I want to suggest that Cody felt the first half of this promo was necessary Mm. to ensure he got a babyface response based obviously not just on what happened in um, uh, last week's Dynamite, but in certain other crowds that have kind of been less than enamoured with him lately. Mm. I think for this to fully land, he knew he needed the whole building. So he tried really hard to get it with his, you know, the, I was going to say rag, <laughs> his riches to riches story. Um, <laughs> Pretty rich story. <laughs> just like... Thought first, it was rubbish. <laughs> Thought like, just like, I don't know, maybe like this is the bit where Cedric would step in and, you know, offer reasonable like criticism as to why I'm dead wrong. But like, you know, I was watching this and I felt the tears coming and I was like, I need my older brother because my older brother doesn't like wrestling and we could talk about something else. <laughs> um, yeah. I thought it was patronizing garbage that makes people compare him to Triple H and Jeff Jarrett. Quite honestly, mm -hmm. this is why people do this, right? I don't always agree with those comparisons. And I think some of them are delivered in horrendous faith. And I don't like being considered the anti-Cody guy in this podcast because I feel like there's lots of evidence to suggest that I praise tons of the stuff he's done. The best thing AEW have ever done, ever, ever, was Brody Lee's Annihilation of Cody. Yes. Let's get on to the good stuff because tragedy took that away from ever being able to be the long-standing moment it was in the awful death of Brody Lee. And they've replicated the feeling of it beautifully in this decimation. And that's why Cody's so awesome, because he finds a way. And how much has Cody bounced around stuff this year that hasn't felt important? And yet, when it comes to the crunch, he finds a way to get his guys over, all the fucking way over. Yeah. The Black Mass was Cody taking that smashed up TNT bag to the face, wasn't it? Like, the table was the, was the defeat. He was dead from the table, the black mass was just this awful crunching sort of like, I don't know, this like, you felt like you were watching, did you ever play Fight Night Round 3 on the PlayStation 3? Yes. Where it would slow down the knockout punch. I want to watch that black mass in more slow motion cuts than seeing the FTR injury from last week. Cool. Um, 
like just so visceral and real. And even when Cody's been bouncing around doing nothing, you still get the impact of this. Mm-hmm. That's why Cody's awesome. That's why he's so integral. Lay off the fucking sentiment, mate, because I don't know who's buying it. Maybe half the crowd was this time. Um, and like, he's got a kid and Go Big Show's filming. And for the audience that, for the company that knows its audience has got its finger on the pulse. Yeah. Meds don't patronize us with this fake retirement stuff because it's okay to just be going away for a while. So while the promo didn't land, the match was awesome. No longer than it needed to be. Black Mass is super over as a killer finisher. Malachi Black is immediate. Malachi Black was a better example than my Darby Allen dive because I'd see him fight Kenny Omega at the moment. You know, like that was how effective this was. Um, not sure how long you can keep him as a heel because he's just too electrifying as a performer mm. right now. He's just too hot, isn't he? You know, like this, the, the gimmick feels too dynamic. So I'm not sure how long he's got as a heel. Um, but they certainly tried their best because the second beatdown was just as cool as the match itself. So I uh, this was um, generally when they say a sandwich, it's supposed to be a filling, isn't it? Mm. Like the, the bread is good, this filling is rubbish. That's a that's a corporate sandwich, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's what this was. Because I thought Cody made a bit of a wet end of himself in the middle of two awesome beatings that he took. Yeah. So just I like I didn't feel any profundity off that, but the physical stuff was amazing. Really, really great dynamite capped off by a really, really great making of a new star. Just wonderful the way they play with the audience emotions and the knowledge and. You know, obviously, I'm, we're watching it back afterwards, not watching it live, for example. But I'm there looking at the time and going, when he goes through that table, he, he can't go another ten. He's just been put through a sodding table, and and nothing's wrong with Malachi Black. He's had, you know, a bit of offense, but it's like now and then. Yeah, they go. Yep, that's it. Finished. I just sometimes I love it when wrestling surprises you like that. And what a hell of an introduction for Malachi Black. That's that's how you book him. Not difficult. That's how you book him. Well, let us know your thoughts uh, on this episode of AEW Dynamite Homecoming on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And if you have got that image of the Dadly Boys sign I've heard whispered about, please do send it to us because always lovely to see stuff like that in the crowd, uh, wherever it may be. Uh, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, of course. Uh, but for now, my thanks to Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us. This has been the AEW Dynamite Re- Review, and we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.